You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, tips on funding and growing your side hustle while staying motivated with Kara Stevens. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, journeyers, welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Excited to bring you this conversation. Always excited to have you here on this rocket ship with me. We are taking off. This is episode 94. You can get the show notes for episode 94 at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 94. And I'm talking to Kara Stevens. Kara is the founder of the award-winning site, The Frugal Feminista, and she is the author of numerous books and resources to help women, especially black women, get their finances in order. I'm super excited to have Kara on because she has, one, been in the personal finance game for a bit now, and she's seen success with her blog. And she's also a mom, and she has a full-time job, and she's managing all the things. And so we're going to talk about how she got started in personal finance, how she grew her business, her side business into something that was profitable, how she manages all of that. And then how you yourself, how you can relay some of those tips into your side hustle or business and entrepreneurship journey. If you are enjoying this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe, especially if you listen to this in Apple podcast. I really appreciate you sharing this with your family and friends. It helps the message get more out there. Follow me at Journey to Launch to keep up with what I'm doing and then tag me. So if you're enjoying the content, screenshot it, show me that you're listening, tag your family and friends, let them know all about Journey to Launch and stick around because I'm reading a review from the Apple Podcast app. But without further ado, let's hop into this conversation with Kara. Hey, journeyers. I'm excited as I always am. And that's because I mean it. I, re- I mean it every time that I'm talking to today's guest, Kara Stevens from the frugalfeminista.com. Kara has actually been what I think, you know, in blogging terms, an OG in this game because you've been around for a while now with your blog and the work that you've done. You've written books, you've, you've written for publications, you've been featured in numerous places. And so I want to get into your money story, like what you were able to do with your finances and then talk about what you're doing as a working mom and entrepreneur and dualpreneur because you have multiple pursuits and passions. So welcome to the podcast, Kara. Thank you, Jamila. Thank you for having me. So when you talk about the frugal feminista, you started that, you said five, six years ago, right? Yep. What led you to start that site? The short end of the story is that even a couple of years ago, like in 2008, that was when like blog spots were the thing. I had been trying to figure out my whole personal finance life and trying to do so in a way that made sense for me. And when I graduated from college in about 2001, I had been ignoring my bills for a really long time. And also some of the charge cards that I had run up and the credit cards that I had run up, not a lot, but enough for my mom because she had co-signed or I had a second name on her card for her to take notice because I was getting late charges added to the bill. 
And I was also um, getting these letters from my student loan um, lenders, like asking me for the money. And honestly, there was this one time, like the, the, the most watershed moment, I guess, in this personal finance thing was that I realized that every time I would get the bill, especially for my credit cards, the bill would go up and I didn't understand why. But then I realized it was because it was late fees. And then I also realized that they really wanted the money back. <laughs> like I didn't really make the connection between like, oh, why they keep on sending me these letters? They know I'm not going to pay it. Why they keep on sending it to me? And the connection between what the credit card really stood for. And the same thing for student loans. Like I never really made the connection until my mom looked at me like I was crazy and was like, when are you going to start paying your bills? Like when are you going to start being a better person? And it was just one of these moments of clarity where I was like, well, you know, I have this degree. One thing I can definitely do is read and write, you know, and follow instructions. So I actually went that weekend to the library and I found a book by Glenda Bridgeforth called Girl Get Your Money Straight. And I read that book, was completely fascinated by the world of personal finance because she had approached it in a way that resonated with me as a black woman. And ultimately, I ended up starting a blog spot shortly after called Girl Get Your Life Together blogspot.com as a nod to her because she was 30 years my senior, like she was like in her 50s. And I was in my 20s when I saw read this book and I realized that there weren't that many 20 year old black girls graduating from school, kind of figuring out their life, talking about money. So that's how it started. And then the blog spot eventually became fabulous and frugal when I picked it up again after I was having some career doubts about what I wanted to do as a side hobby. And then I uh, finally became a frugal feminista when I realized that I wasn't that fabulous in a sense of like shopping and hair and nails. I mean, I love those kind of things, but that wasn't like a large part of my identity. I was more of a feminist and wanted to talk about things relating to women. So that's how I eventually morphed to the frugal feminista. That's the short end. I mean, that was pretty long. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I like that you took us through kind of the transition to the backstories of your blog names too. Okay, so when you graduated, you also had... Well, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you had about $40,000 of debt at some point and you pay that off in three years. So when did that occur? Was it that moment when you said you realized you read the book and you were like, all right, I need to figure out exactly what I owe. And how did you start that whole process of paying it all off? Yeah. So I have been in debt three different times. So that was the first degree. So the first degree was like between 12 and $15,000. And then by the, and that was like in my mid twenties and by my late twenties, I was a classroom teacher at that time. And by the time I was 29, I had decided to become a school administrator. So I had already been out of debt for a while and applied like all the things I had learned from Glenda and then eventually Lynette Calfani. I was like a big like um, Michelle Singletary, um, all like the kind of um, OGs and personal finance and, and books. And they were like wonderful. So by the time I was 29, I had this kind of um, reference point for how to get out of debt and be even more aggressive with it. So I got into Columbia and it was like 40K for this program. By that time, I was still at a teacher's salary. But what I had done, I had done a couple of strategic things to make the loan go down more quickly. And so what I did was specifically for teachers at that time. And for those of you that are listening, it may, this may not apply to you specifically as a teacher of the program. But speaking to your human resources person about something comparable is like the, the next way to go. So I found out there was AmeriCorps funding for teachers. And so what that meant was that they gave you like an educational grant of about $10,000 over two years. So I used that immediately to pay down the debt. And then um, what I also did, 
because I got so many side hustles because I just did not like having debt. So I became a Cinderella character at birthday parties. So <laughs> I became a Mickey Mouse character at birthday parties. I had been going to the flea market since I was a little girl and I um, struck up this relationship with one of the vendors. So I kind of worked security at his table and went with him to um, storage units to, you know, bid. Like, you know, those storage wars. I saw it. Yeah. I was a part of it. I lived it. And so I, he would pay me a little bit of money depending on how much he made for the day. And I would use that money. So like it was like between 65 and $100 to make it stretch for one or two weeks. So I wouldn't touch my regular teacher's check. I moved back home to not have, and I live in New York City, to not to have to pay exorbitant rent. And I know your relationship with your parents or their proximity is a big thing. But I think an alternative to that would be to find a roommate because, you know, it's temporary. So I was really of the mindset of, despite how many degrees I had, despite, you know, sometimes what people associate with having college degrees that you have to have a certain lifestyle, I knew that in my best interest, it was to get out of debt so I can actually have the life that I want. And what other people thought of me wasn't at that time a big concern because this time, like 10 years ago, even a decade ago, Jamila, people weren't as open to talk about life hacking and downsizing and doing what you have to do to get out of debt. It was like really sex in the city. Like, you know what I mean? Like you wanted to kind of live that sex in the city life, hair done, nails done. And people looked at you funny. You know, it was really hard. Like even going out on dates, when you say you live at home with your mama, they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, uh, nothing. You know what I mean? And then, you know, years later, like, oh, you know, even friends were like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Like, are you depressed? I'm like, no, dude, I'm just trying to get out of debt. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I wasn't getting paid all that much money. So I just knew that this is something I had to kind of do alone with the exception of like one friend, we, um, that, that Cinderella character and that Mickey Mouse character, she was the clown too. (laughs) So I had at least one financial friend that we used to have like a competition around saving. So I knew I wasn't alone. It was very lonely at that time to feel like, you know, you're missing out or people think that you're weird or you think that you're a loser. But that was another strategy. So like mad side hustles, having a friend that was also pro saving and pro getting out of debt. She wanted to buy a home. I just wanted to get out of student loan debt. And by that time, between the time that I got out of my first set of debt and this debt, I had started learning about investing. So even as a, a teacher, I was investing, starting really small, like 50 or $100 a month and moving up. So I had built up a little bit of money by the time that I had to repay the student loan. And so I had taken some of the money from my portfolio to pay it off. But also from the, I had like maybe four loans at that time as well. And since I also got a scholarship, which is also an important thing, they kind of offered me a scholarship based on how I presented and, um, and interviewed that extra money that the 40K covered. Since there was a little bit extra, I talked to my financial advisor and we invested it in like low yield bonds. And so we were able to, at the end of my um, tenure at school, use some of the money that had the growth of it and pay it towards my loan. So that was like some of the things that had helped me get out of it aggressively and also just interviewing for higher paying jobs, but then still living as a teacher was also very um, a, a strategy that I used. So even when I did get a new job that paid more, I tried to get extremely even more aggressive because I was aggressive anyway with a small amount of money. And I didn't use the increase in income as an excuse to increase my lifestyle. I just used it to get out of debt. And I think that, um, that amongst the idea too, that 
all these things are as temporary as you want them to be, you know, and sometimes some people may have more advantages than you do. Like me having a mom that I had a good relationship is my advantage, but some people may have connections where they have people or businesses they can work for that may pay them at a higher rate. So I think when you understand what you have to your advantage, you can use it and make it work for you. Just you talking about how focused and dedicated you were to paying off your debt is amazing um, because I think a lot of people, they say they want to get out of debt and they say they want to reach these goals, but you have to, you have to do something to get there. You can't get to your goals doing the same things you've been doing, right? You can't get out of debt with the same lifestyle and the same actions that got you into it. And I love that you brought up recognizing your own advantages and privilege. You know, I know we talk about like the general white male privilege, right? Like that's fine. But I do actually think that individually we all have certain amounts of privilege. Like, you know, the fact that you born in the US, if you're born in the US, I wasn't born in the US. There's a privilege in that. The fact that you have access to the internet, there's a privilege in that. I mean, and I, you know, I know we're getting granular, but you know, it's not to say that everyone has the same starting point, but everyone I do believe, depending on how they look at their situation, can pull something out of it to use to their advantage. I definitely like that you said that because while not everyone has like a parent, like, and I had the same kind of experience where I did have a supportive mom who helped me like get my first place. She gave me, she gifted me money for my first home, or we have a good relationship where I could stay home while I was saving money. And while everyone doesn't have that, maybe there's something else that you have that you're just not seeing as an advantage, but it is. <laughs> right. Cause some people may have a very high paying job, you know, um, some people may have like lar- like a lot of family members, like you said, that are loving that is in-kind payment, you know? So someone may not be giving you, you know, 2K a month in your hand, but for, you know, in terms of the time that they give you back, in terms of the food that they cook for you, you know, that's time and money that you're actually saving if you look at it that way. And I think that's important specifically as people of color, where we may not have like, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's a definitely like a generalization, but in these types of conversations, we may not have as much material gain, but we may have, we may be rich in relationships. And that those, that's the kind of currency you may want to consider using. Um, let me babysit your daughter so I can get this hustle. Okay, then I'll babysit yours. Do you know what I mean? Or let's go half, we get along well, let's go half on you know, an apartment and be uncomfortable for a little while, but let's make this money. Do you know what I mean? So I think that those relational, that relational currency is not maybe talked about enough, but I think those are the kind of things that have historically been, um, I guess, not our privilege, but our advantage. And we should definitely think about ways to leverage them in these types of circumstances. Right, right. You shared some good tips about how you got out of debt and hopefully journeyers can apply that to their debt payoff journey. But now as you're transitioning, so you paid off your debt, you're getting more into like the personal finance space, you're writing. So that became your side hustle at at some point and that helped earn money too? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So by that time I had just started the blog and I was kind of reaching out to random blogs that were bigger than mine and saying, Hey, I want to write, you know, here's a, here's a, I would pitch them and not knowing that I didn't have any expectations and they, they liked my content and ended up bringing me on to be a consistent contributor. And then that led to being contracted to write like eBooks and things like that. And then that, you know, created some more, I guess, exposure to other outlets asking for me to create content. And then I would use um, similar content and sometimes the same content on my site. So depending on the relationship that we had. And then what I started to realize was that I could pitch. I didn't have to wait for people to reach out to me. 
I have started creating a name and, and a particular maybe voice in the personal finance space that was needed. And then so I would pitch and sometimes my pitches would be accepted and some they would be um, rejected. But in general, it became um, very um, lucrative and also easy to begin to see how I could be use the, the blog and use my experience um, to make a stream of income for myself. And then on top of that, just to add that, the freelancing, after a while, I started to realize that freelancing is great, but I want to actually um, have more control over the amount of money I would make and how I do it. So I started to move from writing articles to writing my own books. So they became two streams of income. So now that I, if I decide I want to freelance, that's fine, but also I wrote books of a similar nature or like a topic that would be of interest that I wanted to be considered an expert on and own the rights to. And so that led to the second form of income that way. So now that you were debt free at that point, you're now just using this extra income just as a way to supplement your household income. Or were you like using that to invest? Are there certain goals that you had now that you were debt free? Yeah. So what I was doing for um, the streams of income, I was just saving it because I didn't really know what to do. And then ultimately I realized that, wow, this blog could be a moneymaker. So I started to reinvest in the blog. So I hired a business coach to help me make sense of the blogging world to give me some structure. At that time, I didn't make I wasn't making tons and tons of money, but enough money where I can get like a, a contractor freelancer on Upwork or Fiverr to help create the covers for my book to do the editing. So I started to see ways to reinvest or improve the site or something like that. And that's how I started to realize hey, this could actually be something. And then I started to get a little bit more serious about bringing on a team of people. That was years later, but it started small with contracting for small things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. All right. And I definitely want to talk how you scaled that up and, and how you're balancing it all because you do work full time still, right? And I mean, if we fast forward today, you're a vice principal. Yes. And you still run your blog and you do some other stuff. So can we talk a little bit about what life looks like today and your mom? So, <laughs> you know, you have a lot going on. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I'm successful all the time. You know, I don't think people peel back and say like, you know, Instagram and, and Twitter, like, you know, you're very, it's curated. But I would say that in terms of scaling the site, what I realized was that I needed to get help or I was going to lose the momentum that I was gaining. And I think that comes that decision comes as a personal one, but also like the numbers start to show you or the amount of emails you get begins to show you or just like how tired you are begins to show you. So I started to say, OK, here are the three things I really want to work on. And I also made a business model where I knew that ultimately I wanted to do a few things. One, I enjoyed speaking. But once I had my daughter, I realized I did not want to be a traveling speaker where I was going to, like, say, you know, before I was going to Wisconsin and Atlanta and all these other places, um, Florida. And I realized that I wanted to be a speaker in New York City where I could take the train, you know, do my speech and then come home to my family. So I realized that that was the kind of model I wanted to include that in my model. So that was one stream of income. The second thing I realized was that I wanted to create passive forms of income where the books come in and also just like some of the email automation that I started to really learn about. So I would be able to send email uh, marketing messages and do pitches or soft pitches for online products or for like, you know, a course or for a, a book or something like that. 
So that was the second thing. So I knew that I wanted to have that, but I needed someone to support me around the creating of the sales copy, the creation of the automation sequences and things like that. So I hired someone to help me with that. So that was like my sales email marketing person. So um, the next thing I did was thinking about a social media manager to help support what was going on in the back end of the email marketing and to relay like whatever kind of brand messaging that I wanted to relay about the things that mattered to me and the things that were important for the women that I support and wanted to help transform. So that would include like sprinkling in snippets of my life as a speaker, also the products, but also just inspiration and information and encouragement around helping women understand and be comfortable with their money story. That's a big thing that I wanted to do, but I know I couldn't do it by myself. And I wasn't really that interested in doing it all the time. You know, so I had to be honest about like, I don't really care about that, but I know it's important. And it's important for people to to connect with where your community is, but I didn't personally have to do it. And then the third thing was the outreach and the pitching. So I created the templates for the pitches that I wanted. Like here are the pitches for organizations. Here are the pitches for freelance. Here are the pitches for colleges. And so I, and in particular, like say my niche is women and then another niche is black women. So I would like hear the black women's colleges, black women organizations, hear the women colleges, specifically in New York. And even as granular as like the, hear the, the colleges in Queens, because I live in Queens. So I hired someone, I'll tell them what my parameters are, have them do the research and then create like communication around what was done and what wasn't done and what's due. Just like a system of communicating. And I used Asana as a project management tool. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And then the fourth person that I asked to support me was an affiliate manager because passive income was like really important to me. So the affiliate management comes from building relationships with brands that you support anyway. And then the use of email marketing to have them um, consider purchasing or signing up for a product that would benefit them and then receiving a commission from it. So those are like the four basic forms of income. But after a while, even communicating with those four people on a regular basis was very tiring. So now I've realized that as the income started to increase a bit, I was, I could invest a little bit more, even temporarily, even if it was temporary, a manager to manage those people. So I would talk to that one person for an hour a week and tell them all the things I need to be done. And they would talk to those people or talk to their people, whoever's going to get it done. So that's like the the transformation from being on five rent, like asking for one small task to managing four people, but then trying to get my time back by hiring someone to manage them. I have a couple questions about that. For me, as I'm growing, I'm in the stage of hiring people, hiring assistants, and I'm at also the stage where the funding of it. For you, were you strictly funding those hires from the business, from the, the blog, or were you using some of your full-time income to to get that rolling? So recently, it's come straight from the income from the blog. Um, but this is after years. Remember, you told me you call me an OG, which is great. <laughs> what I would do, I would save the money. And because I already grew up kind of frugal anyway, but had some issues. It's, like, it's very interesting, but another story, another day. But it would be like, OK, what do I really need? How much like how long can I wait to before I get it? So I wouldn't be one of those people that would overbuy. I feel like I would buy as I really, really wanted and sometimes even a little bit too late. So the coach came in just in the right in the right amount of time. And I first started with, you know, people that like say like my friends that wanted to help to do the different tasks or family members. And that worked out to a degree, but 
it was better if you paid someone, I found to pay someone because the relationship was a lot, it is transactional. You know what I mean? These are things I want. You pay for these. If you don't do it, then we have, it may not be a good fit. So it makes it a lot cleaner. So the money to answer your question did come from the blog um, itself. And I started small. I think though, like if you have a full-time job and if you're on your way to getting out of debt or you've gotten out of debt, I would you I would identify a small percentage or not even a percentage if it doesn't have to be small of how much you want to invest in your business every month. So if you say you want to start with like two hundred dollars or four hundred dollars or even one hundred dollars or it could be task oriented. OK, I need someone to help me with X, Y and Z for this amount of time. And then you find the money or you sell something that you don't want. You know, what I mean, so you become a lot more resourceful when you realize that this becomes more than just like a hobby. It's something that could actually bring you money back in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, like you said, like it's that thing of hmm, like, you know, it's time versus the money part. Like I can put my own time into it. So if I'm working full time and I come home, you know, even maybe you have some kids, you know that it's going to take some time to get things started versus but I can just pay someone to do this. But sometimes it's hard to let that money go when you stay to yourself, but I can just spend two hours doing it myself when your time could be better spent doing something else and pushing the business forward and making money. Yeah, it took a lot for me, like just as someone that was taught, like even to the extent of like being completely like money hoarding, you know, it was very hard for me to like, no, I can do it myself. But then when you realize that you're missing emails, you're not responding to emails, you're having to apologize to possible clients, you might have ruined relationships. And plus, client relationships. And on the other hand, you're ruining your personal relationships because your kid and your and your spouse don't see you. You know what I mean? And no one likes to talk about that either, that those things can be very stressful. And why maybe winning in your business life that some of your relationships are suffering because of the time management or lack thereof. So I don't have like any like divorce stories or anything like that, but I have had conversations about like, how to better manage my time in my personal life. And I, I completely respect the conversations. And also when my daughter wants to hang out with my husband more, that's more data for you to say that, wow, you know, time does pass by and what's really important. So we're doing all these things, but then the people that you want to do it with, they don't see it in the same way. And so you have to make those decisions. And so the money spent is money well spent because I'm able to get those things done and still nurture and maintain my relationships. And honestly, those are the things really that bring joy. And I think a lot of us do these businesses for that joy as well, but also we don't want to neglect or take for granted the people that are there trying to root us on. Mm-hmm, right. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like everything's a journey, right? So the entrepreneurship journey, um, life journey, just like financial freedom journey. And, you know, you're working towards this goal, but in the midst of working towards this goal, you don't want to lose sight of what's really important. Because someone could say, well, I want financial freedom so I can spend more time with my family. I want to build a business so I can have enough money to spend time with my family, whatever it usually comes down to kind of where you want to spend your time. But while you're on the journey, if you neglect your family or those things and what you're working towards, you might receive it and then turn around and you're by yourself, right? Or you don't have those close connections. And, you know, for me, I'm still trying to figure out like juggling all of that because even since becoming full-time entrepreneur, this dream of, oh, like, you know, I won't do anything past a certain time because now I can do it all in the daytime. Like that's not the case because I still have, you know, I'm running around with the kids. I'm still doing a lot my attention is still split within the daytime where I find myself still doing a lot of work 
at night. And it's just like, hmm, I'm working way more than I wanted to. So which is another reason why I am hiring out. And for me, even though a lot of the money that if I'm making anything, it's like coming, it's going right back into the business because I realized it's a long-term investment for me. Right. No. And I think that's the, that's the, the important thing. Like sometimes when the investments start having commas in it, you're like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Um, especially at the small scale at the beginning, you may have a sense of like, I'm not going to get this money back. This may be a waste of time. You start questioning like, why can maybe I can do it myself? Or I can find another way to do it. But um, sometimes after you spend the money, you have a, a sense of relief because you realize that when you actually put pen to paper and write down what could possibly happen, what couldn't happen without that support, you realize that it is worth it. And it's just like a mindset um, shift around like, how can I get the money back? Or I may not get it back right now, but it's laying the foundation. And I, I just think it's just like you have to um, just deeply understand that so you don't find yourself. I guess stepping over, what do they say? Stepping over dollars to get pennies. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's it's a lot because especially if you don't have a large amount of savings or you may have bought into the idea, especially for the online world that, oh, you know, you, you can build a blog on a $100 um, in a weekend and then make millions of dollars in return. That may happen for some people, but I don't think that's the typical experience. I mean, there's trial and error there's the very expensive e-market, email marketing, CRMs, like the, the services you have to um, pay for. There's assistance that you have to pay for, especially if you want to actually do things in a timely manner. So, I, I mean, that hasn't been in my experience. In the beginning, like, you know, you can get like a site for $200. And then if you're doing it yourself, that's the only thing that you're doing. You don't have kids and you don't have a husband and you don't want to go to the gym. You don't want, you know what I mean? Like and all these things you don't want to do, you know, that's fine and all, but there's a cost for everything, you know, cost, whether it be emotional, financial, spiritual, whatever. And I think that having all these things and being a mom and being a full-time worker, I just had like a, even just honestly, like a break, not like a breakdown where I'm like, you know, I need to like, you know, go someplace and be seen by anyone or something like that. I mean, I've had those moments, but recently I was just so tired, you know, Jamila, I was just so tired that I just took a break from the blog because I had launched a, a big, happy finances challenge ironically and I wasn't very happy I was so tired you know what I mean it was 42 days of supporting women around their finances in um six areas and it was rewarding but it was very very tiring it took a lot out on me my family and stuff like that I think that that's important for other people to know but it was it was still a success in the sense that it helped women it generated some income and I wrote a book you know all those things those are all great things but there's there's a cost to everything right right for you, like you said, like you are juggling a lot. Um, so I know you're hiring out a lot, of, you know, some key things that you don't necessarily need to do. But in general, how are you able to focus in so many areas of your life? I know you said it's not perfect, but being a vice principal and I know the blog isn't your only side hustle, right? Like you have some other ventures that you're either doing or looking into doing. So can you talk a little bit about juggling all of that? Yeah. So what I did is I, I looked at my life and I made like a, a life mapping. I did a life, I do life mapping activities often just about like, you know, the various areas of your life. So it'd be like your career, money, um, health, spirituality, relationships, maybe environment, you know, it's like holistically what's going on. And I would check in with myself and say, okay, how am I doing in the areas, all these areas? And then I would see the areas that one weren't really, I wasn't rating myself in a high way. And then also thinking about 
was that area really important? And so I would have to choose and pick one or two areas to work on. Um, and so that's how I stay focused. So for now, um, I'm working on my health and just continuing to scale the site to do the last couple of things I want to do for the site. And that means now I have an accountability partner um, that I wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym because I realized that um, I only there for like 45 minutes and I have to go to work. But that's the only time I'll be able to do it. So I had to kind of say, OK, how bad do I really want it? You know, and also it's a goal that helps me feel good. It's an easy win. And it helps me get into my other goals where I feel I could um, that are more challenging. But I feel that confidence that I get from killing it in one area kind of bleeds into the other. So that's how I focus to answer the question. Right. It's like a domino effect. Right. Right. And I read this book on is it the psychology of habits. I reward myself now. And they were talking about the structure of a habit or the architecture of a habit. And one of them is like the cue. And I forgot the second part, but the reward that has to come at the end. Oh, the, the cue, the routine and the reward. And so I realized that I wasn't rewarding myself enough for the things that I was doing because I know, you know, it, without stereotyping, but sometimes I could be very just like, you know, you're supposed to do that, but you're supposed to do, you know what I mean? You're an educated woman. You're supposed to like do things well the first time and who needs a pat on the back? You know, that's the kind of background I have. And I'm just like, hold up. I mean, I got to have fun sometime. Do you know what I mean? So I would say, okay, if I go to the gym X amount of days, then I'm going to get myself this, you know what I mean? As part of like the psychology of habits and to maintain good habits. So I started doing that. So that keeps me focused. And even when I fall back and I don't do it, I don't beat myself up. I just kind of look at my life and say, what was happening at that time to make this be the reason why I haven't been going? And then I go back the next day or I may do something small. So rather than do 45 minutes, I may do like 10 squats and like pat myself on the back. You know what I mean? So I got some squats in. So um, that's that. And so on top of, in terms of asking around like the other ventures that I'm doing, I decided that, yes, what I wanted to do was um, with a girlfriend, we found like there was like a, a lack of um, really quality event halls in our community. And we decided that we wanted to open one up because it fits our lifestyles. And one thing moving forward with the, you know, the uh, advent of social media and, you know, how American parents kind of, they're not even American parents, but just like in America, how we celebrate, you know, we celebrate a lot of things and in certain communities, families are big things. So we wanted to create a space where people could rent out the space, have their events and, you know, enjoy it. And it, it's an easy, I feel like low um, entry to barrier way because you don't have to be there all the time. You can use people to support you around scheduling and the prices are fixed. It doesn't have to be like um, online marketing where you have to kind of sell your personality and sell your story. And so what I'm doing now, we're in the, the, the phase of working with someone else that's done it already. So that's one of the strategies that um, we applied was I reached out to the person where I did my baby shower because I like the space. And work, uh, and I'm, we're working with him to kind of think about the scouting of spots and um, identifying our budget and things like that. So we don't, we already have like a, a mentor who, of course, is, there's a personal interest in it too and a financial interest, but that's fine, especially when you're at the beginning of it. So, but we're also doing it at our own pace where we don't feel so compelled to rush just because there's just like this, there's not this um, strong push for like it got to happen, it has to happen this year. It's progressing well and it's happening. Um, systematically, but it's not this big rush that I have to be done with done with it by 2019, given all of our other obligations. So 
I just, I guess in terms of time management, I just kind of say, yo, this is really important now. These are my key priorities. And then I don't look at, there was an article, a couple, I saw a couple articles around the hustle mentality and like the hustle grind and hustle culture. I'm not for that. Do you know what I mean? I was at the beginning of the blog. I was for like, you know, you stay up till two o'clock and you kind of get, give yourself kudos for that. I'm like, who does that? Do you know what I mean? I need sleep. You know what I mean? Like I need real sleep. And so I commend myself for persistence. And I commend myself for saying I'm going to do two things and doing the two things and then rewarding myself for doing the two things. You know, I'm just kinder to myself. And I think that's been helpful for me um, to juggle all those things. And even just talking to my husband about what I'm not doing well, because he's, you know, doing well, that's helpful to go, okay, how am I doing with this area? What do I need to do more of? That also getting feedback from people that care about you to make sure their needs are being met. And if you're missing out on them, that they feel comfortable to tell you that. Right. Yeah. And there's just also last thing. I mean, there's just sometimes like I say Sundays, I won't work until this time, or these are the hours that I will work so I can spend time with my daughter. Or I will say, go grocery shopping late at night because no one's there, you know, on Saturday. So those kind of things, like looking at my schedule and seeing how can I get certain things done with the least amount of effort makes it more manageable, even though I'm not doing it perfectly. Right, right. And again, it's like not about being perfect. It's about setting boundaries, being, like you said, kind to yourself, because I think for a lot of us, you know, we are juggling a lot. I mean, especially if you have kids, you know, even if you don't have kids, like life is just a lot, right? Being an adult human, it's just a lot of things. You have bills, you have to stay on top of them. You just, there's a lot going on. So I do think all of us need to be kinder to ourselves and realize that, you know, a lot of the other goals that we do have, it's it's going to take time to get there. Um, and I, I do love that you're venturing more into like a brick and mortar, like business, like which is different from what you've been doing for the past few years, like online. I'm still sure that a lot of those, some of those skills you've learned will transfer over <laughs> to the current business. Yeah, definitely. I think like the marketing piece, uh, doing the Facebook marketing, that's going to be a big piece and just being able to target a market and, you know, people who are new mothers or um, people who just graduated, like, you know, doing those particular field designations, that's definitely going to be helpful. And just thinking about creating an email list from the beginning, things that, you can definitely transfer the online world to the brick and mortar world. I'm just seeing those kinds of things um, as a, as an asset that this, um, that the food from these has helped me really learn. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you did write a post that I really enjoyed and it talks about six things to keep you motivated while building your business on the side. And so I want to go through just like a couple points because there are a lot of journeyers who are side hustling or working full time who are doing the most um, and maybe working I don't want to say too hard because some people are drawn to that kind of like hustle and that's fine if it works for you. But if you're a kind of person who wants to be like, all right, but I need to not burn myself out. What are some just your best tips on being able to do that? Basically calculating how much time you can actually commit to the business. I think that's really like one of the first steps because sometimes we overcommit without realizing that it's not a realistic approach. And I think it's because we may hear a coach or a guru say, this is what you have to put $10,000 in and and whatever, 10 years in order for you to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, possibly, but there are alternatives, right? But most important for where you are right now and what you can do, what can you do? And then be comfortable with what you can do. And that may mean just like, even like with, you know, with debt, sometimes if you do the avalanche 
approach, you hit the high interest first, right? Or if you do the the snowball um, approach, you hit the lowest amount first. It's just a matter of kind of deciding there are pros and cons to each. You know what I mean? One, you, you get you hit the high interest first. The other one, you hit you have fewer bills. But either way, you're doing something. You know what I mean? So I would say first, just kind of decide and calculate how much you can actually commit to the business. Don't judge it and then do it. And then if you can increase by increments, you can um, 30 minute or hour increments or rather than using hours as your barometer, you can use tasks. You know, what task can I complete by the end of the week? And you can use like your uh, an index card or even like a post, like in those big posts and say, OK, by the end of the week, I'm going to complete these three things. And maybe by Wednesday, you can reevaluate and say, OK, I wasn't able to do all three. I've been able to do two. So that means I may have to you know, readjust my schedule for the next week and then continue with it. So I would say that's one thing. I think also if you know that you can't be focused at your house, (laughs) then go to a co-working space or a library or a coffee shop. So especially if you're leaving work and you know that the bed, the phone, Netflix, all those things that can be great distractions, don't put yourself in a position to have to fight. You know, you're fighting the end of the day, you're fighting the distractions make it part of your routine to, you know, leave your job and go, you know, someplace where you can get work done. Or if you don't want to leave your job, fine, move actually away from your desk so no one sees you and find a place where maybe it's like an empty conference room or um, someplace that's more tucked away that no one will find you that you can get work done. So I would say that is one of the ways that I was able to do a lot of my blog posts, you know what I mean? Because in addition to being a teacher, I was um, a staff developer, so that means I had more of like a cubicle life for a little while. So when the end of the day came, I was able to tuck away in one of the parts of the building and get things done before I got home. So I would um, definitely think about that. I would also say community is really important when you're at the beginning. And so even like how I reached out to you, Jamila, like, I reached out to you because I was doing the happy finances challenge and Mm -hmm. just creating community around people who have similar visions is a great way to keep you motivated and who are willing to share their ups and downs of the journey can definitely keep you motivated because sometimes you look at, you know, Instagram or whatever social media channel and you just see the curated version of people's lives. And some of us are willing to share, you know, what really goes on behind the scenes and some of us aren't. But when you create like, or, you know, deeper, authentic connections with people that maybe are at the same space as you or same place and, and same pace, you're able to support each other as you go through obstacles, but also be a thought partner and also share resources. So sometimes that happens in a free way. And sometimes that happens, you may have to get it, do it in a paid way. So that may mean getting a business coach, you know, which I did. And I, if that's something that you want to do, if it's just more of like one question to be answered, you want someone to really pay a lot of attention to you, then you're going to have to make that investment. I would say that. And I would also say that as you're doing financially, get out of debt as quickly as possible, your personal debt. So you can use whatever money that wasn't being earmarked for the payment of loans or, or um, outstanding bills, that money can be channeled into funding your business. And I would say, in addition to that, let people know that are in your circle that some of your social commitments may change, you know, but it's not because you don't love them, but because you're trying to spend time doing whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I think 
keeping lines of communication open to people that love you and are ultimately the ones that are going to support you after it's all said and done is really an important piece to it. And I would also say like last thing is to keep yourself informed about your craft, but not overwhelmed with information. So you're not, you're not paralyzed by information because sometimes you look at people who are 20 steps ahead and like, why can't that be me? I said, well, cause you're 20, they're 20 steps ahead. You know what I mean? Right. You don't know their starting point or how long they've been at it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or to what extent they're telling the truth. You know what I mean? So that's, that's another thing. So I think that all those things um, contributing to it, just focus on what your next maybe two or three months would look like, as opposed to like maybe what your whole year would look like, um, because that may be overwhelming, especially when you're just trying to figure out what you're trying to do. These are like really great tips on managing like that side hustle slash like business part of your life. And I, I really love that you took time to talk about the investing in yourself and investing in communities or resources that are going to take you to the next level because, you know, I can't say enough how much further I was able to grow and how much more I was able to do once I started paying either for a course or for help or just like to be a part of communities that how much like that up-leveled my mentality and how just doing that changed me as a person because now I was the kind of person that wasn't afraid to invest in myself, which changed my mindset to know that I could accomplish it. Because once I knew I paid for it, I'm like, all right, you're going to figure this out. You're going to make the best of this and use it to your ability. So Kara, I want people to know where they can find you. I mean, I really thought this conversation was really insightful. I know it will help a lot of journeyers. So let everyone know where they can find more about yourself and your blog and what you have going on. Uh, Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Frugal Feminista. And you can go to the site, The Frugal Feminista. And on Facebook, I'm The Frugal Feminista. And you can always email me at Kara at The Frugal Feminista. Right. And it's thefrugalfeminista.com, right? Correct. Right. Cool. I will link all that in the show notes. I just want to thank you so much again, Kara, for coming on the show, sharing your journey and sharing all these great tips. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kara. As I mentioned, I hope it gave you some good tips and just insights to how you can develop your side hustle, how you can continue to grow as an entrepreneur. I know one of the big things is always how do you fund this goal? Um, it truly is an investment. And so hope you got some information about how to do that in your own life. As I mentioned before, if you want the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 94. As always, continue to share this with your family and friends. And now let me read you a review from Apple Podcasts. So this is from Simply Natural 84. She says, if you want a common sense approach to managing your finances with the advice of those who have been on the journey, then this is the podcast to listen to. Jamila has built an amazing and welcoming community. I look forward to Wednesdays so I can listen to Jamila's podcast. It keeps me going on the journey. I truly enjoy the wide range of topics and the episodes are relatable and based on the attitude of, if I can do it, you can do it too. It has helped change my mindset on how to manage my money effectively to gain financial independence. Please listen. Thanks so much, Simply Natural. That is the goal. I am wanting to expand your mindset so that you can see that the impossible is possible. All right, so until next week, Keep on journeying, journeyers.